Well, welcome back, homies, to Heard of a Murder. My name is Brittany. My name's Christina. And I'm Berto. And we also have a Cabbage Patch doll that's on the table that Brooklyn gave Christina as she came in the door. It's super cute. It is very cute. Welcome to our semi-annual episode. <laughs> it's been like four months. <laughs> it seems like we're so rare. I think it just ups the value of it. But it's so great. It's so great. So, it's yeah. funny because every time we do an episode, we're like, oh, we're going to start doing every, you know, every week or every two weeks. And then like four months later, like, okay, guys, we're back. <laughs> well, I think the last one I gave up on that. I think the last one I was like, I'm not even going to give excuses. Like... <laughs> It is what it is. If we do better, we do better. But stay tuned to find out, you know? It's I, I feel like it's only when you get COVID. Yeah, That's when you, like, do the research and everything. Because last <laughs> time it was when you got COVID. No, the last time, I, you got it freaking super fast, so we didn't even get to do a podcast. Because you got COVID, and then 90 days later, you got COVID again. Yes. <laughs> and you know what? I did do this research when I had COVID. Yes. That's, That's so funny. funny you say that. But, and I still have my cough disclaimer. So, I know you guys know the case we're doing today, but for our listeners, it's uh, Jamie Osuna. And I actually wasn't going to do this case because there's not a lot out there on the internet about anything. So, it wasn't going to be enough for an entire case. There is a reporter out of Bakersfield. Her name is Olivia LaVoice. She does like a six-part podcast. And it's called The Man of a Thousand Faces. And it's phenomenal. She goes in, interviews Jamie Osuna. She interviews family of the victim. She interviews witnesses and everybody that she can. It's really amazing. So, so this, this is a podcast? It's a podcast. It's literally, She sounds so much better than us. <laughs> she's very good. She's by herself. She's obviously scripted really good. Mm-hmm. But she does a really good job. And she actually puts in, like, I don't want to steal her material and do, like, plug in her recordings of her interviews that's her research yeah her hard work so good way to get canceled too <laughs> <laughs> if you want to know more about this case the man of a thousand faces olivia lavoie's um she's from kget um she's amazing was that like her hood or something or <laughs> okay so and <laughs> this is gonna be about 15 pages so i don't know where we're gonna land time wise at the end of this so We'll see. So, Jamie Osuna, he was born March 7th, 1988, on the east side of Bakersfield. His mother's name was Michelle. She was 19 years old when she had him. Now, I couldn't find his father's name, but his father was 20 years old when Michelle gave birth to Jamie. So, James did have an older half-brother in which they shared moms. Um, And Jamie's father was very abusive to Michelle, his mother. One of these occasions is when she was pregnant with Jamie he kicked Michelle in her stomach. Now, this caused Jamie to have a permanent dent to the earlobe of one of his ears. So, before he was even born, this guy is already, you know, subjected to abuse. Now, over time, the relationship just didn't work out, and Michelle and Jamie's father separated while Jamie was really young. Now, shortly after, Michelle began dating a man named Jeff. And we don't like Jeff either, just letting you guys know. Okay, my name is Jeff. (laughs) Jamie's father would later be arrested and sent to prison for holding a knife to Jeff. And that's pretty much the last time we see or hear anything of Jamie's, like, real father. So, he's now out of the picture in the story. So, by the time Jamie was one years old, Michelle and Jeff were married. Jeff did have children from an earlier marriage, but Jeff did not treat Jamie and his brother as well as he treated his own children. In fact, he was very abusive to Jamie and his older brother. And we will see that Jamie received zero love from any other man in his life. So, which could be a factor to he would end up becoming later. Jamie's mother states that one day the family was driving home from a fishing trip and Jamie was little. He was still in a car seat 
Now, he was crying because he needed a diaper change. Now, Jamie's stepfather, Jeff, he opens the back door and he pushes Jamie out of the car. Car seat and all. Like, literally opens the back door, pushes Jamie out. He's so young, he's in a car seat. Now, Michelle. Yes. Michelle, Jamie's mom, she says she jumps out of the car, she grabs Jamie, and from what Michelle claims is Jeff would take Jamie to a hospital. And that's it. Now, later on, during one of Jamie's many incarcerations, he was said to be examined by doctors, and it was determined that he had significant brain damage stemming from probably one of these abusive incidents. Mm -hmm. At five years old, his stepfather tied him to a tree and whipped him. At eight years old, his uncle threw a brick at him. Uh, Jamie was also forced to eat food on the ground while his family ate at the table. No wonder this dude's a psycho. Yes. Now, Jamie wasn't the only one who sustained abuse. His older half-brother, who was also physically abused by Jeff, his stepfather, he was able to go to the grandparents' house to escape the abuse. But Jamie was probably not able to go and had to stay at his home and continue to be abused by Jeff because his grandfather hated Jamie a lot. And we don't know why, because Jamie's mom describes Jamie as being super sweet and super loving. In fact, he would always go up to his mom and give her hugs. But Jeff, being very possessive, he would get mad. He wouldn't allow Michelle to show Jamie any affection. And he would tell Michelle that, that he was like to come first over her children. And she claims that she literally had to go hug her son and kiss her son behind her husband's back because he would get mad. How do, how do you stay with someone like that? You know, she has a lot of regret for that. And she says she shouldn't have. And I don't know. I don't know. I agree with you. Like, your children are your number one. But I don't know if she was financially dependent on him. So, in one incident, Jeff, he throws Jamie outside. And it's raining. Jamie's got no shoes on. Jeff has all the doors locked. And Jamie's pounding on the door, crying. At one point during their deal, Jamie is standing under the bathroom window at the house. Well, Jeff, seeing this, he breaks the bathroom window, causing glass to fall on Jamie. Now, Jamie ended up sustaining multiple injuries from this, and they actually had to take Jamie to the hospital at this point. In another incident, when Jamie was five years old, he spilled juice on the ground, and this made Jeff very angry. So, he tied Jamie up and then proceeded to whip Jamie with the belt. Wait, like, what the fuck's wrong with the mom? Why isn't the mom, like, stepping in? Why is the mom, like, letting her kids get just fucking beat to shit? So, this is the incident that basically breaks the camel's back because Look, there was a shit done before that should have broke the camel's yeah. back no you're right i agree with you 100 percent. but this is the incident for whatever reason i'm just saying anybody puts their hands on my kid that hmm, yeah having issues no, first time same michelle does end up calling 911 at this point now when the police get the police get to the residence jamie's already untied but he's showing ligature marks when they asked jeff about it jeff told the police that he was just playing around and he only hit jamie one good time <laughs> that's it that's it jeff was arrested uh but he was released days later for this of course it's california so jeff gets out and michelle takes him back (gasps) of course i'm surprised shocker and he of course continues to abuse jamie um and of course that abuse starts to spill over to michelle as well so she starts sustaining the abuse and then one day, Jamie, in his early teens, he finally gets the opportunity to go live with his grandparents. I don't know what was up with his grandpa. They were like, finally, he can come live with us. Now, by this time, it was a little bit too late because Jamie was already very angry. You know what's crazy is um, when you first decided to do this case and you had sent me a couple pictures and one was when he was a young young boy and he looked like a cute little kid. He was very cute. 
This just like, and he looked happy too. He's very cute. And he was. He's yeah. like a fucking <laughs> psychopath now. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. So Jamie, by nine years old, already admits to killing animals, which we know is like. Oh yeah. It's just the start. Mm-hmm. It's just the start. Um, he also claims that he sustained sexual abuse as a child, but he never says by who. So we don't know if it's Jeff. We don't know it's the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And this reporter, like I said, Olivia Lavoie, she goes back to Jeff's father and Jeff's grandfather. And it seems like it's a long lineage of abuse by stepfathers, pretty much, that they all sustain. Um, so I'm, if I had to guess, I would say it's Jeff. Because somewhere along the line, one of them was sexually abused by the stepfather. Mm-hmm. So that's just my educated guess. I'm not saying it's true. It's just if I had to like. Usually it's the stepfather. I was just about to say that. Sometimes it's the grandfather, too, though. Like, it, it really is. Little yeah. old man. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we, we know by now, Jamie Osuna really only ever knew a life of, like, violence and turmoil. Um, at 15 years old, he was arrested. He was taken to juvie for stabbing another teenager. Learning of Jamie's arrest, Jeff, he makes the comment to Michelle that he was glad Jamie was gone. Now, when Michelle heard this, she was like, you know, I'm finally leaving your ass. <laughs> and then that's... Uh, was the breaking point for her mm-hmm. and she never went back to jeff after that like literally after all that abuse after all those incidents she took him back he even abused her but him saying after jamie went to juvie he's like oh like i'm glad he's gone that's when she was like all right i'm done with you she had a new man it wasn't because of that jesus i'm just saying like fucking <laughs> you take all that bullshit and then one comment makes you leave like he beats the fuck out of your kid yeah and I was maybe the same sexually thing. abused him, but mm-hmm. he makes a comment, and oh, I'm done. You think so? I don't know. I, I, I agree. Bitches. Side note: Jeff died from a heart attack in 2007. He was 39 years old, so yeah. But only 39. Yeah. Only 39, because uh, he deserved to die, probably. Yeah, yeah. That was karma coming mm-hmm. back at you. <clears throat> now, even though Michelle left Jeff, it was a little too late for little Jamie. He had already began to have strong feelings of contempt for his mom. He felt she always chose Jeff over him and subjecting him to so much trauma. Like, he he really did hate his mom. Now, Jamie attributes these abusive and traumatic experiences to the evil person he would later become in life. He ended up joining um, what's called the Varios Bakers, which is um, a subset um, of the Sereno Hispanic gang in Bakersfield. Mm. So he was a southerner. He earned the nickname Loquito, which in English means the crazy one. Yeah, fitting probably. Yeah. I was literally going to say this, like, which is fitting once we find out what this guy is capable of. Now, it's December 2008. Jamie's 20 years old. His friend invites him to a house party at his friend's cousin's house. Now, at this party, Jamie meets his friend's aunt. Her name is Joelle Castellano. Now, Joelle was 36 years old, so significantly older than Jamie. Um, She was a retired prison psych nurse and a single mother to four children. Now, she also owned the home, so she was like the mom that let her son throw the party, but she was still at the party, hanging out, drinking. Now, she ends up talking to Jamie throughout the night, and despite the age difference, they ended up really hitting it off. Now, later in the night, Joelle, she's dancing with a different boy, and uh, her nephew does not like this boy. So, her nephew goes and grabs Jamie, who ends up stabbing the boy in front of Joelle. Now, Jamie was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon and a parole violation because he had already been previously arrested. Now, Joel was given a citation for contributing to the delinquency, delinquency of minors because there was high schoolers at the party as well and kids under 21. Wait, wait. How old was she again? 36. And how was she retired? 
psych nurse medically retired she had medically retired out okay so while jamie is in county jail on that assault with a deadly weapon he starts writing romantic letters to joelle (laughs) and she falls for it like she literally saw him stab the guy she was dancing with and then he writes her and she's like yeah i think i'm i think i'm into this like let's do this yeah as soon as you said she was having a party at her house and then all these fucking little gangbangers come to her house like come on on. that's true that's true fair so jamie serves his time he's released from prison after serving two years now he hits up joelle and that night they hook up in a in a hotel room joelle she claims that night that they met they were supposed to only be a like one night stand but she ended up getting pregnant what yes i didn't know he had kids and hey that was two years of build up you know I won't hit her quitter after that. And 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 he did. That's that is one only child. It was mm-hmm. it was a little boy, and that was his one and only child. Now the relationship did start on a good note. Joel said he treated her good. They ended up getting married because uh, I guess Jamie was really traditional, which I hate saying that because of what we know he does. Because <laughs> it's not traditional to murder people. So yeah. Um, but as soon as quickly turned verbally and physically abusive to Joel. Um, And this landed him eventually back in jail on domestic charges. He doesn't know anything else, though, either. His entire life was violence. Now, this also wasn't enough for Joel to leave, and Jamie returned home immediately after his release. Now, Jamie would soon become physically abusive to Joel's children as well. I can't find anything that says that he was ever abusive to his own son, though. Now, during one of these incidents um, that Jamie became abusive, uh, Joel ended up being pissed off. She ended up holding a knife to Jamie and told him to leave. Now, Jamie calls his grandma, like, hey, grandma, come pick me up. <laughs> I'm scared. This bitch is crazy. And, and she does. Um, and Jamie eventually comes back to the house. But Joelle, she's not having it. She calls the cops. Jamie's arrested. Uh, and this time on a parole violation as well. Now, Jamie was soon released on parole again on Halloween day of 2011. At this point, Jamie's 22 years old. Uh, Joelle's 38 years old. Now, when Jamie gets released from prison, he wastes no time before he begins stalking Joelle. He began threatening her, telling her he was going to kill both her and her children. And because of all these incidents, she ends up filing and receiving a restraining order. But on November 4, 2011, this is less than a week since his release from prison, Jamie Osuna, he calls uh, Joelle and he tells her to watch the news. And she's like, well, why do you want me to watch the news? And he says, well, you know, because I just stabbed a woman at the El Morocco Hotel in Bakersfield. So Joelle's like, cool, cool, cool. I'm calling the police. So she calls the police asking if there have been any female victims at the Morocco Hotel. And dispatch tells Joelle, yeah, that's a hard no from us. Like, we haven't had any calls for service at the location. And it was left at that, which... Kind of confuses me because if someone said that, I'd be like, let's do a welfare check. And then, yeah. But they didn't do that. None of that happened. They were just like, no, we didn't get any calls. Uh, Nobody's dead that we know of. Yeah. We haven't heard anything. So, I mean, it is what it is. Now, five days later, November 13th, dispatch receives this phone call. Now, the caller says, I'm calling from the El Morocco Hotel and uh, I found there is a lady that stays here at the motel and my cleanup guy, his name is Roman found her stabbed in the back she's dead i think now the dispatcher says what oh my gosh what room is it sir and the caller says it's room 19 at the el morocco hotel now when police officers responded to the el morocco hotel um it's located on golden state avenue in bakersfield they find 36 year old yvette pena dead on the floor inside of one of the hotel rooms golden state avenue that's like one of their 
bigger, busier streets, right? I'm yes. pretty sure. Yes. Um, now, Yvette Pena, she was born May 15th, 1972. She grew up in Bakersfield. She had a younger sister, Danielle Pena. And I have to tell you, her story is kind of heartbreaking. Like, not kind of, it's very heartbreaking from start to finish. Her sister, Danielle, and her were 10 years apart and very close by all accounts. Danielle claims Yvette named Danielle after her doll. So she was able to name her little sister. And so she had her doll named Danielle. So she's like, she's going to be Danielle. How cute. So adorable. Um, Yvette and Danielle's mother, she barred in a local bar. She tried the best for her children, but apparently she had the mental capacity of a nine-year-old child. So she really struggled through life. The mom did? Yes. She's actually able to be a bartender? I guess. I, you know, I mean, you do anything for your children, you're going to do what you got to do. Does that mean we can get Brooklyn to start bartending for us? She's not nine. <laughs> Maybe at nine. Five more years. <laughs> um, now, when Danielle, her little sister, was born, she had a medical complication that left her fighting for her life. Um, she nearly died. The, the hospital was able to stabilize her. Now, newborn Danielle, she was able to come home from the hospital. But they said she could only come home as long as the family could afford the medical equipment, which the girl's mother could not afford. But lucky for the family, though, the mother was at the time dating a drug dealer. (laughs) So Mr. Street Pharmacist, he was able to afford the medical equipment for Danielle. However, the medical equipment came at a cost. Her mother's boyfriend tells 10-year-old Yvette that he would pay for the equipment in exchange for sexual favors. What the fuck are wrong, Now, Yvette, she loves her sister to death already. She's willing to do anything she can for her. So she begins to sustain extreme abuse at the hands of her mom's boyfriend. How old was she? Ten. Ten. Now, her mom's boyfriend also threatened if Yvette did not allow the abuse, he would turn his attention to her infant sister, Danielle. What the fuck? You're just making me angry as fuck right now. Yeah. Don't blame the messenger, okay? Now, Yvette suffered the abuse for two years before she finally reported it, and her mom's boyfriend was finally arrested. But after the arrest, investigators told the mom, like, hey, you might want to get Danielle checked as well. She should have a medical examination. And the family agreed, and it was discovered that two-year-old Danielle had also been sexually abused. What the fuck? Their mother's boyfriend was sentenced to three years in state prison. That's it? For the molestation of Yvette and Danielle. And he only served one year of that prison sentence before being released. Now, learning of her sister's wow. abuse, that like it caused Yvette to go down a huge, huge spiral. Uh, she blamed herself. She regretted not reporting the abuse sooner. She thought she was doing her sister a favor. She thought, like, hey, by taking all this abuse, I'm shielding my sister from it. <clears throat> come to find out, keeping she, her alive. Yes, come to find out, like that wasn't the case. Obviously, the guy was lying. Shocker. So, at the age of twelve, Yvette attempts suicide. She also began using hard drugs as a means of escaping the trauma she sustained and the guilt at 12. That's sad. It really is. Now, she not only blamed herself, but she blamed her mother for the abuse. Um, Her mother claimed not to know, but Yvette always said that either, one, her mother knew about it and chose to ignore it, or two, did not know about it, but she should have known about it. Mm -hmm. Now, Yvette, she moved out of her mother's house at the age of 16 years old. She soon found herself pregnant, and she gave birth to her first son. Now, she would go on to have four other children, and in 2004, she began using meth, and this caused her to deteriorate. Her drug use caused her to lose custody of all five of her children. She would struggle with her drug addiction throughout her entire life. 
she made multiple attempts to get clean, but never was fully successful. She was arrested in 2011 for drugs. Now, while in jail, she gave birth to her sixth and final child. Jesus Christ. Because of the drugs, her child was premature and had to be admitted in the, into the NICU. Now, shortly after that, all of her charges were dropped and she was released from custody. Now, for whatever reason, losing her sixth child was like her breaking point. She was like, you know, I'm quitting drugs. I'm turning my life around. No more. Now, she did quit the drugs and she would get clean. She walked to the hospital every single day, which was a long walk to visit her child. She began teaching Sunday school and she really made a solid attempt to get her life back on track. But despite all of these attempts, she was denied custody of that child. This sent Yvette down a familiar dark path and she began using again and she was homeless. This is when she began living at the El Morocco Hotel where her paths and eventually crossed with Jamie Osuna. Now, the details of exactly what happened in the motel room that night are like unclear. Here's what we do know. Jamie Osuna tortured, gagged, stabbed, and sexually assaulted Yvette Pena. When police got to the motel room, they found her lying on the ground with, quote, stabbing instruments in her back. They did describe the scene as, like, truly horrific. Did you see, um, or did you read anything on how they actually met? No. So I looked for that, because I know there was, like, hearsay of, um, a lot of people say she was a prostitute. Mm-hmm. I didn't find anything that substantiated that. I also didn't find anything that says that Jamie Osuna frequented in prostitutes because I feel like but, that. But at the same time, like all junkies hang out together. Like it's like they have their own little community of like it's almost like the homeless. Like they all just have their own community. Yeah, everybody knows everybody. That's kind of like what I figured too. But also, like there's nothing that says he did drugs. I'm sure he did, but I wouldn't label him as a junkie. I would put my money on that he absolutely did. Okay. Just because the shit he grew up with and the shit that he grew up around, like... Yeah, coupled with his gang life. And yeah. Like. Now, Yvette, she was so brutally brutally attacked that her family were not allowed to see her body. Um, by the time she was found, she was so badly decomposed that she had to be cremated. Before cremation, Yvette's sister Danielle asked for a lock of her hair. And detectives were like, yeah, like, we'll see what we can do. But her body had so much blood on it that detectives were not <clears throat> able to grant this request. Oh, wow. And going back to the decomposed part of the story is I also couldn't see how long they estimated her to be in the hotel room because they said it was so badly decomposed. So she had to have been there for a while. I like you said earlier, like they found her five days later after that phone call or something. After the phone call, but there's no autopsy reports that say how long she was actually in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's a good point. I really didn't think about that. Um, well, that's the same time you don't know how hot that room was because the heat will actually speed up that process yeah. too. There's You're a so lot smart. of things that will affect the decomp process. Mm-hmm. And Bakersfield gets hot as fuck. That's true. But this was in November, is that what we oh, said? Never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually pretty cold in Bakersfield, but that's a good point. Now, the autopsy that was conducted revealed Yvette died from blunt force injuries, asphyxia, and sharp for- sharp force injuries, which I never really heard of that as like an autopsy result, but it makes sense, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Upon investigation, police immediately find the call that was made by Joelle five days earlier. They arrested Jamie Osuna for Pena's murder, and when they talked to Jamie, he claimed he had nothing to do with the murder of Yvette Pena. Now, when it comes to motive... Both Joelle and investigators and other people who chime in on the case, they believe that Yvette bared a stunning resemblance to his wife, and they were thinking that he basically killed her as like a murder by proxy almost, like a vicarious murder. I don't don't know how you would put it. But to this day, he doesn't give anybody a reason why. Now, I wonder why he won't give a reason. I mean, you're already in prison. Are you already confessed? Like, 
but why like, not I, give that motive? But I feel like when you're that crazy, you probably don't even know why you kill it at that point. Like you just do it because it makes you feel good. I would even take that. Like you know what? I did it because it makes me feel good. Yeah. I'm like okay. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's asked him because after like the trial and stuff, and we're gonna see. You know, he's obviously convicted. Um, I don't know if anyone ends up asking him after the fact, like, hey, like, we know you, you know, you were convicted, but why'd you do it? Mm-hmm. Now, even though Jamie's arrested, he continues to find ways to terrorize Joelle. Uh, he's calling her and threatening her from jail. He's calling CPS and accusing her of being an unfit parent. Even when he runs out of uh, money on his inmate accounts, he gets other inmates to call Joelle and threaten her. Now, uh, Jamie's also at this time kind of starting to show interest in the devil. He's writing letters to his wife, drawing pentagons in the mail. He would put his own blood on the letters, talk about the devil. Uh, at one point, Joelle alleges that Jamie was able to mail her a dead rat that was squished. What? Yes. Now. Good mailroom. <laughs> Good mailroom. Well, that hasn't been substantiated, but as we'll see, she never gives anything that anyone can like be like, no, that's an out- outright lie. So mm-hmm. I think she's telling the truth, but at the same time, like, where was the mailroom on that? And there was a rat in there. Mr. Jingles, like, are you okay? (laughs) Now, he would also mail similar satanic letters to the district attorney's office. That's why I say I don't think she's lying because the district attorney's office also got letters. Uh, During one incident, jail deputies caught Jamie trying to pass a letter to another inmate. The letter listed Joelle's address with instructions to kill and burn down her home. Now, while Osuna is in jail, Joelle gets arrested herself for allegedly hitting her son. So she ends up in the same county jail at the same time that Janie Osuna's there for. And she's the one who snitched him out for the murder he's there on. And she went GP. I don't know what classification <laughs> she ended up going. And our people aren't going to know what GP is, so you might want to tell them. Just general population where everybody goes, as long as you're not a sex offender or a snitch. So now they're in county jail together. Joelle, she claims that one day she's getting transported to court. And as she's getting into the van... She looks over, and Jamie's also in the van with her. Oh, my God. Now, she claims that Jamie turns around because she's next to, like, another girl. That's probably GB, Birdo. And Jamie says, do it now, and you'll get the drugs. And Joelle says that the girl just starts whipping the shit out of her while Jamie, like, cheers her on. (laughs) Now, uh, there's no incident reports or cases or documentation that this incident ever happened. But what was documented, which is why, like, at first I was like, I don't know if that really happened. But then it is documented that one of the jail deputies, he's, he caught a note from Jamie. And the note had Joelle's cell number on it. And, and it said that there was a price on her head. It also documented as saying, quote, I should have got my wife that day in the van. So I think that checks out. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I don't know. Sometimes you can sit in those vans by yourselves for a while. Before, like, as they're loading people up, or if they do like a caravan of vehicles, like, yeah, just sit there for a while. So, shit yeah. happens at first. That's why I was like kind of skeptical. I was like, ah, I don't know, it, it does sound a little sketchy, at a first. little far fetched. But with the documentation of him being like, Why well, should have I should have gotten my wife that day in the van? That's the way I took it. I'm like, yeah. Oh, maybe it, maybe it adds up. Now, Jamie's on trial for Yvette Pena's murder. Rookie prosecutor Nick Lackey, he was assigned to the job. He fought the case for six years before Jamie ended up taking a plea. Uh, the plea deal essentially removed the death penalty from the table. And the family of Yvette Pena made the decision to plea the case like they were okay with it. <laughs> they did not want to be subjected to all the horrific details a trial would surely expose uh, when Yvette's family made the decision. I see. You know what? I, I would be the opposite. 
You would. I'd be like, no, take take this sh- shit to trial, and he needs to get life. Death. Yeah, Fuck, he needs to die. Yeah. Well, Yvette's sister, she was they because they went to the court every every single time there was a, any kind of hearing. They went to every single hearing. Mm-hmm. Now, during some of the hearings, obviously, I would believe it's the um, pre-trial, the, pre- the prelim. prelim, the prelim. From what I understand, is they were showing photos. Her sister was like, you know, she didn't want to look at him, but she's like, you know, I, I owe my sister the strength that she had to go through that. I should be able to look at him. She said she looked at one photo, and she cannot unsee that photo. She wished she had never seen that photo. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that had any kind of weight in the matter or situation, but obviously that's one fraction of a piece of a percentage of a glimpse of what she would be exposed to mm-hmm. at an entire trial with her sister. And maybe it was like, you know, as long as he's behind bars for the rest of his life. Yeah, I get that. So her sister did make one request when they were like, yeah, let's plead the, let's plead the case. Her sister said, I want this one request. And they granted it. And the request was that he was sentenced on Yvette's 42nd birthday, which was May 15th, 2017. Now at the sentencing, Danielle, she made the statement, quote, I've sat in this courtroom more than a dozen times and all I've seen was a smile. I can't control anybody's actions or their emotions or feelings on what happened, but I do hope that one day that Osuna will have sorrow and remorse. Which I doubt because while making this statement, Osuna was mocking Danielle. He was making the talking hand gesture and mouth blah, blah, blah. On what a piece of shit. Fuck him. He was also rolling his eyes and his attorney had to take a rolled up newspaper and tap him on the back to try to get him to stop. Like a fucking dog. <laughs> like, no, don't, stop, stop. <laughs> Now, when Jamie Osuna received his sentence for five felony charges to include murder, he turned around, he smiled, and he gave Yvette's family a wave. I think there's a picture of that, too, somewhere Yeah, I was going to say, there's like, like an infamous like little wave, but it's like not like a wave like this. It's, well, obviously, the listeners can't see my hand, but it's like one of those. Wiggle the like fingers. A cre- yeah, like a creepy one. Yeah, it's super creepy, and you're right. If you Google, actually, Jamie Osuna, that's like one of the first photographs that are going to pop up. I'll post it on our Instagram. Um, you're all thank you. You're <laughs> also gonna see his full face of tattooed makeup, which is also horrifying. Which he tattoos himself to look like a Joker. He's obviously got tattoos over other tattoos, but his face by this point is entirely tattooed. He, I believe, he also had a pentagram tattooed on his face as well. When the judge sentenced him to life in prison, Osuna turned around to the family and gave them a big thumbs up. <laughs> So, Osuna, he's in prison. He bounces around to a couple different prisons before he finds himself at Corcoran State Prison, located in Corcoran, California. Um, It's considered a level three prison, and throughout the years, has housed multiple high-profile criminals. You guys want to know who? Yes. The most infamous one, probably, I would say, is Charles Manson. Yeah. Uh, There's Joseph Pegleg Morgan. He was, like, one of the original, like, Southerners, wasn't he? Or Cerdeños? Yes. Original member of the Mexican Mafia. Mm. He was the white guy. Yeah. Now, there was Rodney Acala, who's known as the dating game killer. I will eventually cover that, because that's good. He also recently died. Fun fact, I want to say, like, last year. Oh, no. Uh, R.I.D. Rest in distress. (laughs) Uh, Philip Garrido, who he abducted 11-year-old J.C. Dugard, which I didn't realize before, like, kind of doing this case. Uh, Michael Markasev, he murdered Bill Cosby's son, uh, Ennis Cosby. It housed Dave Hawk, who convicted of murdering his wife, Debbie Hawk, Joseph D'Angelo, Golden State Killer, mm-hmm. and Sirhan Sirhan, who assassinated United States Senator Robert F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy's brother. I keep doing 
just yeah. keep hitting the table. <laughs> and then also right next door to Corcoran is that Sadif. That's pretty much they butted up together. Robert Downey Jr. was in that one. Okay. That's who it was. I kept telling people Mel Gibson was there. No, it was Robert Downey <laughs> And then Jr. I Googled it. And I'm like, where am I getting Mel Gibson from? Yeah. How do you know this? Because she told me about this case. I'm like, I know for sure. I remember hearing about Robert Downey Jr. being in Corcoran. And I looked it up and he was actually in Sadif. Oh, so once in Corcoran, Osuna was housed in the segregated housing unit, commonly known as the SHU. Uh, it's the housing unit with the highest level of security. It houses especially sophisticated and violent offenders. Now, by this time, Osuna, he had already had a laundry list of prison violations. Now, among this laundry list included multiple incidents where he was found to be in possession of a weapon, multiple assaults on fellow inmates, numerous occasions in which he gassed staff. And guessing for everybody, it's defined in the penal code as, quote, intentionally placing or throwing or causing to be placed or thrown upon the person of another, any human excrement or other bodily fluid or bodily substance or any mixture containing human excrement or other bodily fluids or bodily substances that result in actual contact with the person's skin or membranes. So, so pretty much piss and shit. And semen. Blood. Can't forget semen. <laughs> Keep going. I feel like you guys are, are really on a roll here with it. Uh, Osuna also had a previous incident in which, despite being considered a house loan inmate, he was able to assault another prisoner. In this attack, he entered the other prisoner's cell, proceeded to striking the prisoner with the makeshift hatchet Osuna made. Uh, the guy had to get 67 stitches on his face. Holy shit. The victim was asked by prison officials to have photographs taken of his injuries for the case, obviously. The prisoner refused. He feared Osuna would somehow get a hold of these photos and add them to his trophy collection. So he was like, nah, I'm cool, man. Don't take a photo of me. Like, I don't want him to get that. He has a trophy collection? I don't, I don't have anything to elaborate or kind of expand on that, but that's what the prisoner said. He probably does, though. Now, on March 8th, 2019, while in Kirkland State Prison shoe, Osuna receives a cellmate, and that cellmate is 45-year-old Luis Romero. From what we know, Luis Romero was Osuna's first cellmate. Now, Luis Romero was born in Guatemala. He was raised by his mother. Um, at 16 years old, him and his mom moved to Compton, California, which, why Compton, California? But cool. I'll just, great start. It might be greater than Guatemala. I don't know Guatemala. Maybe it's better than that. <laughs> Uh, once in Compton, Romero lived in the All-American Dream where he joined a local street gang. <laughs> because Compton in the 90s, my guys. Uh, in 1992, at age 17, Romero shot and killed Maggie Salinas. Now, Maggie Salinas was said to have been an associate of Romero's rival street gang. And he ended up being convicted of secondary murder and he was sent to prison. So, when Romero was transferred to Corcoran State Prison on March 7, 2019, uh, prison officials were like, here you go, here's your new cellmate. And that cellmate was Jamie Osuna, unfortunately for him. So, they wanted him to die. <sighs> so, they're still in the shoe, right? They're all in the shoe, yeah. Now, on the night of March 8th to March 9th, 2019, Osuna brutally murdered, murders Romero. Sorry, I keep hitting that. It's my hands. I'm talking with my hands a lot. My, because I think my listeners really like to know that I'm talking with my hands. I think it's important for a podcast. So you can only hear me. They can see you. Oh, my mom's calling me. Hold on. I'm not going to answer it, but I just have to silence it. Call you afterwards, mom. At 7:15 a.m. on March 9th, authorities discovered the brutal crime scene. Now, Luis Romero was fully decapitated and partially dismembered. One of his fingers were severed. His eyes were removed. The sides of his mouth were cut to look like the Joker smile. 
his body was like in the sitting position leaning against the concrete um, box that his mattress goes on. He was facing the door and he was only wearing a pair of boxers. His head was mounted on the bed directly behind his body. Now it was being propped up by a rolled up towel tucked beneath the decapitated head. The floor was literally covered in blood and I would say flooded with blood as was almost every item and wall in the cell. Now Luis Romero had a large laceration on the left side of his chest uh, this is where Osuna had removed Romero's lungs and suspended them from the ceiling with a bed sheet. Holy shit. He removed did- his lungs and suspended them from the ceiling with a bed sheet. <laughs> Why? Was he trying to dry him out to eat him later or something or what? I don't know. You just can't rationalize. Is it, is it that easy to remove a lung though? Some like beef jerky or something or what? But I don't even think the laceration was that wide. He had to like literally stick his hand in and dig for his lung and kind of like pull it out. But isn't it, like, connected to other things? It's not just floating, is it? I don't know. I don't know either. Do you know? I'm I'm stupid. I have no idea. (laughs) But you're pretty. Got one thing going for me. And you have a nice beard. Everyone, I wish you guys would see Berto's beard. It is amazing. Obviously, if you know us, you see his beard. And if you don't know us, you're probably not listening to the podcast. So that's probably an irrelevant (laughs) statement. But I just have to tell you, if you do not know Berto, that he has a great beard right now. Did they... uh, So, did they uh, state, like, what type of um object to use to cut him open or the only weapon that they found was one of those you know where they have the little plastic disposable razors and Mm -hmm. it's like the the blades broken off and like attached to something else um that's the only thing they found in the cell he flushed it but why would you flush it like do you have that good of a case like oh (laughs) it wasn't me i was on my bunk Uh, i was playing handball where's a murder weapon (laughs) you don't have a murder weapon you don't have a case literally the only person in the cell with him for the entire night like why would you go and flush? like what person's like shit i gotta fucking flush this like they're gonna get me i was sleeping i don't know what happened yes exactly so i thought that too but i was like why would he flush it like why would you flush it but 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 if you think about it though he he was a sudeño so that's all they know though like you you do what you you do your dirty work and then flush, flush the fucking it. the weapon i have reason to believe he probably was a dropout alarm just just <laughs> well saying, absolutely but you just don't, guessing but you i don't, don't think a, it was active you don't get away from that life that you lived yeah, you know because like, i guarantee he's probably part of some dropout gang I, maybe yeah. you know what i mean like maybe they, they don't Good just point. stop uh, yeah so but still but, but still why like why now, the autopsy later revealed, and I think this is going to be news to you guys because I know you've heard of this case. Wait, that- can, we go, can we go back, though? How was that not caught? Like, especially, like, <sighs> like, like. So I wasn't trying to, I wasn't going to try to go into that. <laughs> well, because, like, because you don't because, just do it with, like, because they have to do, they have to check on them. Like, they just don't do it in, like, 20 minutes, fucking cut somebody's head off and yeah. have blood all over the cell. No, I agree. I agree. I've never cut up a body <laughs> i've never removed somebody's head and decapitated them and tore out their lungs and the written shit all over the walls and shit like that and put blood on the floor but i think it takes a little bit longer than 59 minutes which yes. is their required checks that they have to do but maybe not maybe he's good i think he doesn't have a great butcher knife in there or anything like he's using something that he made so that would have been hours he made a tomahawk where he gave somebody 67 stitches that's impressive and that's in one incident. 67 inches. No. Nah. All right. Do better, Birdo. Let's see it. <laughs> oh, soon it did. He cut somebody's fucking head off. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know that they're under... There's an investigation that still hasn't wrapped up about you know what happened. Um, 
that area i don't know if the entire prison doesn't have it but that area doesn't have cameras to go back and basically check or mm-hmm. solidify whether they did their checks and um and we're in compliant with whatever state regulations that they're supposed to be doing those checks in so maybe we'll do an update if that ever comes about or like there's a disposition to that investigation yeah but as of right now we don't know how that happened we have no idea how that happened I know when it initially happened, we heard that he had covered his cell windows and there was like just a period of time where they couldn't go into the cell because of safety reasons. But I couldn't find anything to substantiate that out. What we heard was any kind of truth. From what I heard was that they did their checks within the hourly allotments that they were supposed to do. And now there's an investigation because obviously there's other questions that you have. The other people have the same questions like you do. Like, how do you do that? Especially hypothetically, if you did have that one little weapon. How did he do that in 59 yeah. minutes? It might so, be one of those things, though, too. Like, like they, his window was covered. There's like, I ain't even trying to fuck with this dude right now. Like, whatever. Yeah. You know? So, okay. His his lung was taken out. That was the only thing that was moved. Well, his head was cut <laughs> off. That's <all> his head. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Anything else? Uh, his his finger was severed. Okay. What did yeah. The finger? I believe he made, a, he made a, he made a necklace out of something. Maybe the teeth? I don't remember. Took the teeth out too? I think so. I don't remember. I what? guess this is a podcast. And I should have really known that shit before we got to this, but I have to, I'll have to, I'll have to look back into it, but. Souvenir. He, like he, the guy said. He had made a te- his, his trophies. Yeah. He, his had, trophy he, case. Had, he had created, he had made himself a necklace consisting of something of his body parts. That um, reminds and me he was of wearing that, it. that movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where they're, I don't know, they kind of turn them into robots, but the guy, that uh, played in Rocky, the uh, Drago or whatever. He makes a necklace out of ears of people that he's killed. Oh, cool. Holy shit. Yeah. So that's why I think of one. Yeah. You said that's Rocky? It, he was the Drago and Rocky. I forget what it is. Something soldier. But he makes a necklace out of ears. Oh, shit. I need to, I need to watch the Rockies again. Oh, no, it's not the Rocky. It's, not, it's, oh. it's a different movie. Yeah. Okay. Is it Universal Soldier? Yes. That's okay. exactly okay. what it is. Okay. I was sitting there trying to think of it right now. I was like, I know what you're talking about. So also something that we didn't know is that uh, the autopsy showed that Romero, he was more than likely alive for at least part of the torture that he endured. Like it's not like he killed him and then did all that. Yeah. And did all that. It sounds like he started doing that already. Written on the cell walls on items throughout the cell and Romero's blood were the words, ha ha, freak. And which we also didn't know the quote, I am a man with a thousand faces. Also written in blood was the saying, you will never be lonely. You will never be sad. You will always have me to dance with. What the hell? I like it. What's that from though? Is that like his actual words or is that like from a song or? It is a quote from an old comic in which Joker tells this to Batman. Oh, wow. Nice. Yes. Um, How big is Osuna? He's very small. So Yvette Pena's sister, one of her comments when with on that podcast I was talking about, she even says, she's like, you know, when I saw this guy in court, I was expecting him to be a huge person. He's like, she's, he's very small. And uh, even by like now, he's like super frail and he's very short in stature. He's not a big guy at all. Hmm. Other prisoners in the administratively segregated unit uh, with Osuna at the time of the murder, they think it was a setup. Um, That's what I said. They put him in there so he could die. I don't give much clout to like other inmates that are incarcerated because, like, you know, they always have their little yeah conspiracy theories and whatnot. 
sometimes they're 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 right most of the time i don't think that it pans out for what they think but what we do know is that many people do include as soon as ex-wife joelle they were shocked that like they were like why was this guy ever given a cellmate now, since the murder of Romero, Suna was transferred to Salinas Valley State Prison, where he underwent psychiatric treatment. He was deemed incompetent to stand trial in January of 2018 and currently awaits further court proceedings. He is currently housed in California State Prison in Sacramento, California, and his current case has made him eligible for the death penalty. Again, he's up for the death penalty. So he's still not competent till this day? No, I haven't seen anything that where his um, proceedings were reinstated. Wow. Now, Osuna claims that he is responsible for two other unsolved murders, but this has not been confirmed. Now, to this day, he claims he would commit the murder over again and has no regrets. Um, he regrets? Yeah, regrets. If you know, you know. And apparently you don't know, so let's I just don't. keep going. <laughs> now, he states if he is ever released, he would murder again. He claims he is so detached from the feelings um, and so numb that murder causes an adrenaline rush and gives him some kind of emotion. Now, he states he would rather kill than do drugs and have sex with any other woman. Oh, wow. See, you lost me on that last one, you know. Well, Fucking good. weirdo. Good. I'm glad you I, I'm glad you, you share that sentiment because if you said anything otherwise, then like, you know, by Felicia. Now, in an interview with KGTV reporter Olivia LaVoyce, Jamie states, see, a person, when they commit a crime, they can shoot somebody. Because when you shoot somebody, the gun is mostly doing all the work. You know when the bullet goes, you see the red splat, the person drops. You might shoot him in the head, his brains might spray. That's it. You might forget about it a year, two years later. You might have a glimpse, but as you, as you torture and stay with the body, even afterwards, the smell, the decomposing, the maggot and fly activity that occurs and all that. You know, when you experience and you go through all that stuff, it stays with you forever. For me, it is not a nightmare. For me, it is. It is. How can I say that? It's a prize. It's a trophy. It's a picture, a memory. It's a photograph that I can go back and look and get pleasure from it. <laughs> oh, my God. Fucking psycho. <laughs> I couldn't. I could not exclude that quote. I was like, that to me sums everything up yeah puts it into one package and shows you guys exactly what this guy is about uh and that's where i'm going to end the story on that sadistically awful and heinous note which will probably haunt all of your dreams tonight (laughs) so you're welcome wow (laughs) and we'll definitely have to post pictures of him on our instagram yes yes so because he once you see the guy you're gonna be like yeah but when you see it, the picture of him being like a young kid, like he's like he's a cute kid. Oh yes, I don't think I've he's seen like that. a sweet, cute kid. So we'll post that picture too. Gosh, I keep doing that. I'm sorry. So we'll post that picture too because, ironically, the picture is like him holding. I think he's next to a paint can. Yeah, and there's red paint it's, on it. And there's yeah. like a red paintbrush. It's very colorful. It it's a very crazy juxtaposition to him murdering a cellmate i feel like it's just kind of creepy it's just kind of like one of those parallels that you're like oh wow well that's he's always like blood okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe uh yeah that's it that's the story that's jamie osuna that's the monster that's the fucking murderer that is him and that's his story and i wish we could post the pictures of the cell that you found online yes but i won't just out of respect for we're not that big. They won't see it. For hum- <laughs> for humanity, I guess. I, 
feel like. But if you guys want to go look at the photo or go look at that photo or go do some internet hunting for that photo, like, cool, cool, that's all all for you. But I'm not going to just voluntarily, like, expose but, you guys to that if you do not yeah. want to see that. But you should. And White Claw, I'm still waiting for that sponsorship. <laughs> Bro, Christina, always fun. Uh, to our homies, we appreciate all of you. Uh, we appreciate your IG follows, your likes, your comments, your DMs. Uh, you can always find us at Heard of a Murder Podcast. All and, one and, word. And all also- one. Hey, don't interrupt me <laughs> when I'm trying to do a plug-in of our Instagram. I'm gonna do, I gotta do it again. Heard of a Murder Podcast, all one word. All right, go, Bro. I'm done. <laughs> He's staring at me. I'm done. <laughs> No, I was going to say, then thank you for everybody that calls us out for not doing fucking podcasts. Yeah, it's been so guys. long. We have so many people that are, you know how many people I've gotten, like, especially recently, that were like, hey, are you guys not doing your podcast anymore? I'm I like, know. No, we are. We just haven't gotten around to it yet. I don't, I, I don't even think anyone knows we're doing this one. Because I haven't mentioned it to anyone. Have I, you guys? I've mentioned it. I, I Did told you? a couple people. Yeah, I mentioned it. I got it. jammed up the other day, and they're like, what's up with the podcast? I'm like, oh, we're going to do the one this weekend, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's my fault. I take full responsibility because I'm the one holding up it every single time. Like, we may take a week or so, like, to like get our schedules together to like record, but it's all me. So sorry. You know, I really like this story Did because you? yeah, obviously we knew about the murder, but I didn't know the details of his childhood. Yeah, it I mean, it, it makes sense though. Yeah. It really does. It's almost like one of those typical like, okay, the kid was abused, he was sexually abused, he becomes a murderer. Like, it's a know. vicious cycle that you can't. You like, yeah, some people stop it majority of people don't it's just like the only life you know it's the only thing that you grow up like knowing or becoming or and all that you didn't have a chance even before he was fucking born yeah no i agree i agree yeah. I, I wonder i wonder how his son is like if his son is i do following too. His dad's footsteps and i purposely didn't name his son's name in this i don't think he needs to be subjected to that that documentary i was talking about they do interview joelle a lot his ex-wife a lot a lot she has a lot of things to say like i said do you guys go to this documentary listen to it it's a six-part series the man with a thousand faces olivia lavoie it's, it's truly she does a great job she's an amazing job so gotta give her all the credit for this um so thanks for listening you guys see you next time thank you guys see you in six months bye <laughs> you're an asshole <laughs>